Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning, witches. It is Monday, December 11th, 2023. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Dana DePonte. So let's get your day going with a little magic. So this is one of those very rare moments where I'm filming or recording the episode on the day it's airing. It is 6 a.m., it is Monday, and if you're like, oh my gosh, Tanya, why are you recording it day of right now? Well, it's because I went to the Renaissance Festival yesterday, and I came home, and I went to bed at like 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. I went to bed at like 6.30 p.m., and I slept for like 11 hours. <laughs> so that is why. But that's why I'm um, up, but I'm fresh for you now because I got some good sleep in, so uh, it all works out. So our quote of the day is, you may not always have a comfortable life, and you will not always be able to solve all the world's problems at once, but don't un ever underestimate the importance that you can have because history has shown that courage can be contagious and hope can take on a life of its own by Michelle Obama. So moving into some headlines. So again, um, Mitch Horowitz on his Medium site, The Myth of Nazi Occultism. So he writes, uh, in late 2020, I was invited to sit on with the Zoom call of scholars, curators, and historians who are planning a Holocaust memorial uh, monument in Ukraine. The session occurred just over a year before Putin's invasion. In the time since, I've often wondered about the fate of some of those on that call today. I was invited by a friend, a distinguished curator, who was delivering a presentation to the committee. He spoke on primeval funerary traditions to examine how the ancients abided death, memory, and interment rites, and whether such practices held ideas for the nature and design of the planned memorial. He discussed memorial mounds, markers, pyres, as well as numeric, calendaric, and astronomical formulas to calculate their direction and placement. The presentation was, in my estimation, thorough and brilliant. When the floor opened, a professor, whom others seemed to be waiting to hear, spoke up in a rather dramatic way. Quote, it is particularly ironic that you're giving this presentation, he told my friend, because the Nazis were an occult and green movement. In fact, Heinrich Heimler himself has been on this call at if, I'm sorry, if Heinrich Heimler had been on this call, he would have liked your presentation very much. Personally, I detected both extravagance and reductiveism uh, in his remarks. As a guest on the call, I didn't feel it was my place to enter into a debate. Uh, my friend took the comments in great spirits, and the following day he asked me, now that I've been named Heinrich Heimler's favorite intellectual, what did you think of my talk? I thought highly of it. I said, but I added, there exists today in both academia and social media willful overestimation to the extent of which occult themes were present or doted upon within Nazi circles. 
In general, I believe we overdetermined the sources of Nazism. There existed little consistency aside from nationalism and race hatred within Nazi ideology. Wide-ranging symbolic and historical material was embraced, copied, discarded, and contradicted. Um, and then he goes on to say in his Medium article, which uh, you can join, I believe, to read more, but that um, it's easy. So all of this was before the paywall. So it's totally cool to share. Um, but he goes on to say that uh, you can overread into occult themes in uh, Nazi kind of ideology. And it's just a really easy uh, trap to fall into. So I think this was really interesting because I'm going to be honest, I've never, not that I've never encountered people saying like, oh, uh, these runes are Nazi symbols. I have encountered those sort of uh, comments on other people's posts, but uh, my research and the stuff I've read and the work that I've looked into just doesn't really cross over into that realm. Um. I typically um, don't really dig into uh, the type of spirituality, which is, uh, I believe, typically like Nordic and stuff like that, where those conversations or accusations or myths are being uh, circulated and withheld and um, talked about because that's just not a spirituality I vibe with or um, for no reason other than I just don't, you know. Um, so I've never really super encountered that or looked into it. Um, but I think it's a really fascinating conversation about how, and you can kind of see how it happens, right? Like, um, when you have something that is undeniably bad, like uh, the Nazi and Nazism, um, if you want to make anything else seem bad, it's really easy to just attach it to that. And I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm theorizing, uh, as someone who has no information on, on that subject, um, however, if that's a subject that interests you, it seems like um, Mitch Horowitz, who wrote uh, a new book, Modern Occultism, um, seems to really be digging into it. He seems to have done the research and work. So I think if that's something that really interests you, uh, reading into his work, uh, I think could be a really great place to start if uh, you're into occultism historically from that angle. And yeah, I think it's really fascinating uh, because even though I uh, don't, um, I, my spirituality just is never in that realm where those conversations are being had. Um, I've seen the whispers of it around, like I'll see a friend post, oh, these symbols, uh, which are ancient runes. And then there'll be a comment like, oh, um, Nazis, you know what I mean? So it's really fascinating. So I, I think if that's something that interests you and something you want to learn more about, uh, it's definitely worth reading, but I'm going to be really honest. Like I really like Mitch Horowitz. I'm really liking um his the, the way he talks about things. I'm I, I like his um interest in research. Uh he's someone who I would uh read just because I like uh the work he's doing. So I would definitely check out his book and even his medium account. Uh so yeah, oh my gosh, he seems like a really neat dude. All right, witches, I'm gonna throw this over to our moon correspondent, and after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Monday, December 11th. The waning crescent moon moves from the focus of Scorpio to the free wheels of Sagittarius today. 
Here, the moon squares Saturn. A square from the moon to Saturn can feel oppressive, and this one is particularly intense. The moon in Scorpio can be quite broody, and with Saturn giving the moon the side eye, we might be ruminating heavily on every slight that we've been feeling and every person who we suspect has crossed us. The moon is in its fall in Scorpio, as it has a tendency to get stuck underneath dark thoughts here. So, we should take care to remember that the way we are emoting has a lot to do with the energy of the moment, rather than what's going on around us. When you start to feel the tide pulling you under, swim for the shore and give yourself a break before diving back into your day. Your daily moon mantra is, the best views come from the hardest climbs. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Are you a highly sensitive witch who has weathered the storms of difficult childhoods or past traumas? The free weekly prompts to art journal with the moon by Dana DuPont, a professional intuitive and art witch with a highly sensitive spirit, might be the calming, healing journey your nervous system needs. Art journaling with the moon allows you to align with seasonal rhythms and lunar cycles in a colorful and creative way. Every Monday, Dana will drop into your inbox with a visually spellbinding summary of the moon's coming and goings, her intuitive insights on the emotional healing work the moon is inviting you to do that week, and daily journal prompts to guide your creative healing journey. Don't worry, no Van Gogh or Picasso skills needed. Scribbles, doodles, stick figures, they all hold magic. Let the moon guide you. Let art heal you. Start your magical journey with Dana at danadepont.com. That's D-A-N-A-D-A-P-O-N-T-E dot com. All right, witches. While we were on break, I went and got myself a little um, iced coffee. So I'm going to take a sip and we're going to dig in to our Christmassy Yule topic of today. Mm. All right. So <laughs> I picked this uh, this source because I just liked how it's organized. However, I'm going to warn you right now, it comes from U.S. Ghost Adventures website. So um, however, they cite their sources, which I love. I love. I remember when I was in school, like a teacher was like, oh, how can you tell like a really good um book or work on and, and if that's something you should be like using and they said always look for sources do they have a reference sheet a bibliography do they have a um, work cited um oh, i just love it okay so digging in uh this comes to us like i said from usghostadventures.com i think is that um the guy who's dating holly madison i think that's his uh his ghosty thing i always get them mixed up with uh ghost hunters which was like the og show it was the show with like the guys who were like plumbers during the day i loved that show then ghost adventures came which i think is the guy who dates holly madison um and they were just really aggressive to the ghosts and i'm not down with like that sort of uh ghosty treatment <laughs> so anyways but uh like they're really successful um i think the guy has a museum and everything Mm. all right witches let's dig in how yule became christmas 
So before there was Christmas, there was Yule. Yule refers to a midwinter festival celebrated during the time of the winter solstice that in some form was observed for thousands of years in Germanic and Nordic countries and still is very much alive today. As much as Christmas is about the birth of Christ child, Yule was an um, agricultural celebration, providing us with all the holiday trappings. Did you put up a tree? If you did, you are observing Yule. How about hanging a wreath, lighting a candle, steal a kiss under a sprig of mistletoe? Well, then you have Yule to thank for all of these occasions. Um, just this year, I've started to see some debate about this, and I have not looked into it. Probably should have. Uh, but I'm curious on where the debate stems. My curiousness of the debate, and here's like my first thoughts without looking into it. I'm so sorry. I'm such a bad source today. But um, my first thoughts on it is that, is it possibly the idea that one is like a set holiday, whereas Yule is maybe more of like a seasonal um, thing? I'm not sure if maybe that's where the debate is being held, but there is, there's some sort of debate about this idea that Yule became Christmas. Um, and I do think, what I think is that I do think we as neo pagans or modern day witches who celebrate neo-pagan holidays of the wheel of the year we tend to treat these holidays as if they are modern holidays where it's just like a day you pick you get off work it's on the calendar when in reality that's a myth or at least the old holidays um they weren't really holidays they were just like for the most part for the most part they were just things you did during the time of year to make life bearable you know, especially agriculturally, which was like the biggest focus when we look at like ancient civilizations, you know? Um, anyways, let's keep going. So it's definitely a supernatural time of the year, which yes, it is. Um, if we look at summer as being like a very fey holiday, you know, uh, we can look at the dark half of the year uh, as also a very spirit holiday, right? They're parallel. Um, Timelines. So, what makes Yule so unique? It's rather interesting that the first day of summer is called midsummer, and the first day of winter is called midwinter or winter solstice. It is because the pagan people comprised uh, of agricultural societies and the entire culture centered around the growing seasons, uh, midsummer, and halfway through the growing season. So midwinter was halfway in the calendar until planting would resume. Midwinter meant the darkness was about to give to the light. Death would once again relinquish its icy grip on the world and life would slowly return. This time was a pivotal point when people looked forward to the future. Yule also had a few ominous overtones as well. At this particular point in the year, there was a collective trepidation about the past, present, and future. Just as midsummer was associated with the supernatural, so too was midwinter. Ghosts ravaged the world outside beyond the warmth of the fire. Demons would be discerned in the howling wind, and death was everywhere. Because agriculture was so important, it is little wonder that plants and other greenery were used as decoration. Evergreens were cut and gathered from the woods near villages and brought inside to symbolize fire and rebirth. Because the evergreen was, well, evergreen, even in winter, it was believed to have special powers against the supernatural. 
Evergreens were believed to keep death away, and in a time of extreme cold and meager rations of food, that was a kind of superstition that continues even to this day. It was also believed that evergreens encouraged the rebirth of the sun, so evergreens were thought to hasten the warmth of the coming spring. Holly was used to capture or ward off evil spirits. Holly would be placed at an entry point of the house so ghosts and demons could not enter. The leaves would come to be seen as symbols of hope in the coming year, and the berries were seen as a harbinger of fertility of the land. So something I've mentioned before on the podcast, like if you ever get confused about like the wheel of the year, a really great way to remember if you're like, wait, what's this season about? Just think like hundreds of years ago, if you were experiencing um, the world as it is now, but without all like the <sighs> kind of comfortables, what would you be focused on food wise? And that's how you can remember because the wheel of the year is really all about agriculture. It's are things growing? Are things planting? Um, so, for example, I think it's bulk, and correct me if I'm wrong, bulk, where it's like, just think about what you will plant, you know? And then I think like Ostara or is it? No, Ostara, things are blooming bulk. Yeah, in bulk we're planting, right? So in bulk we're planting our seeds, right? Because the ground is warming from winter. And so when we're planting seeds, symbolically, it's like, okay, what seeds do you want to plant for yourself? And that's how we kind of get the spiritual aspect. So you can very almost always go, okay, if I was living in the like in like a very less accommodating world during the season, what would I be focused on? And then you can typically figure out what the, what the holiday's about and kind of even spiritual things uh, around. So candles we see in churches today also prominently um, are prominent in folk beliefs regarding ghosts and supernatural visitations. Originally, a candle was lit to appease the sun to return. In a bleak midwinter, this seems entirely appropriate. Pagan belief also saw a candle as a powerful talisman. It was believed the glow drove evil away. The same way we put a pumpkin or a candle in a pumpkin to make it a jack-o'-lantern was the same reason why churches use candles to drive away the darkness and everything that called uh, dark its home. History does not exist in a vacuum. So from pagan origins comes what we see today and we take for granted. Silver bells also are said to have um, a pagan origin. The sound of a bell was believed to drive away evil and ghosts for thousands of years. And using silver, uh, you were just taking precautions. Silver chases away ghosts and demons and even werewolves. Even the traditional colors, uh, the Christmas colors, can be found in pagan belief. The color red in pagan agriculture represents the waning holly king. Um, the, yes... The color white represents new hope for light, and silver represented the moon, and gold the sun, and of course, green uh, nature. So the Yule Log, oh gosh, I once did a Yule Log with a group, and it was the best time. I think I told the story about Frau Hall, if, um, how I did like, if I haven't, I will tell the story, but I... I, I once got the uh, pleasure of planning my first ever kind of 
holiday for other witches. And we did a Yule log. We had a log and we decorated it and we pinned little wishes to it. And uh, we spent like days decorating it and then we got to burn it. And it was so fun. So the pagans during this time of year would bring in the Yule log. A Yule log was an ash or oak tree that would be burned throughout the Yuletide. The Yuletide lasted for 12 days, hence where we get 12 days of Christmas. This Yule log was kept burning to keep evil spirits from entering the home. And the longer the Yule log burned, the faster the sun would return to warm the earth, or so it hoped. And eventually the Yule log would be replaced in many cultures with the Yule tree, possibly as early as the 1500s. Oh, that makes sense, right? Because we, you take the tree and you cover it in lights, so it's kind of always looking like it's burning, which is, I think, really neat. Hopefully not burning for real, for real. Uh, yeah, I think that's really fascinating. And then mistletoe. Mistletoe has very pagan origins. The war would cease if two armies met and the mistletoe was found near, the ba- uh, near where they battled. Only the druid priests could collect mistletoe and used a silver knife to gather it. Mistletoe was a symbol of peace and fertility. Oh, so kissing under it is like this uh, symbol of peace. And then we all know about Odin. So once such legend that was known in Germanic Europe and Nordic countries was something known as the Wild Hunt. In European folklore, this was when pagan god known as Odin would sweep across the winter landscape with fairies and otherworldly beasts in attendance. Anyone caught up in this onslaught was never to be seen again. I always, so I was joking yesterday at the Ren Fair. I was um, with my friends, uh, Russ and Trace, and um, we saw a Marilude, which uh, we talked about, I think, a month ago or a few weeks ago which is like the kind of horse, scary dead horse. And we were talking about it and we were just like, wait, what does the Mary Lou do again? And I couldn't remember, even though we had just done a podcast about it. And I was like, I don't know. I think something about like keeping kids inside and if they're not inside. And then we were joking about how almost every creature, mythological creature, is literally just meant to keep kids inside during the nighttime. And so when I see this, like, if you're caught up when Odin is, when his beasts are flying over the land, you uh, will never be seen again. And I can definitely see parents telling that to their children. So, of course, this tale was a cautionary warning and a personification of the howling winds of midwinter. In a time without electricity, cell phones, anyone stranded out in the open was surely in dire peril. Exactly. Keep those kids inside. Caught out in the wilderness during a blizzard would cause one to get disoriented, and once lost, you would not be found. Ooh, sometimes it's hard to forget, like, how brutal um, it was before we were able to, like, navigate, you know, like, really efficiently. Very interesting. So, yes. So, as we open our presents and drink our eggnog, Give a little nod to pagan traditions and myths of the time. And I love it. I love it so much. And they have a great sources. Um, Stories Behind the Great Traditions of Christmas by Zondervan. Christmas Miscellany by Jonathan Green. A Celebration of Light and Warmth by Dorothy Morrison. Yule, A Celebration of Light and Warmth. And then Wiki for Yule and uh, Yule for... Britannica. 
All right, witches, we are wrapping up this episode of the Witch Daily Show. I want to give a shout out to listener Don Don Howard. Don, you formidable, transcendent kraken. Veronica, you magical, brilliant gnome. Lori Sanderson, you magical, esoteric sunset. And Casey, oh, you charming, playful garden nymph. Thank you for so much for being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate it. And in the new year, we're going to be doing so much more. I'm going to be doing more on the Patreon. Um, We're going to have uh, spells and rituals. I'm going to post free months. And we're going to be doing more on the Discord, more on the Facebook group to make it more engaging. I'm really going to be um, pouring more effort and energy into those spaces. uh, Mostly because I'm just really grateful for all of you. And uh, the fact that I can come on here and talk and be nerdy and question things and be thoughtful and have thoughts and uh you know not everyone gets that space not everyone gets the opportunity to talk and be heard and appreciated and i'm just so grateful for all of you that you grant me that space and um just know i do not take it for granted all right witches we are wrapping up this episode of the witch daily show and uh that's it we will talk again tomorrow bye witches. We hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.